This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, released its final report in its investigation into the fatal police shooting of 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez last year. The report reiterated that there's no evidence that Alvarez was attempting to harm the officers chasing him, and he was just trying to flee. Here to give us insight into these findings and what influence this report could have on decisions within the police department is Annie Sweeney, criminal justice reporter at the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, Annie. Hi, thanks for having me. So what are the takeaways from this report? Um, well, w- one takeaway is certainly that the the COPA report took a very different position than what we saw at the police board in July, in which the recommendation to consider separation for the officer was rejected. Um, I mean, what this really comes down to is a question on use of force, Um and whether there was an imminent threat um, when the officer fired his weapon. And Mm -hmm. it is notable, I think, that uh, there was a gun present, but the COPA report concluded that that was enough. That was not alone. That alone, excuse me, was not enough. Um, That they really took a clear look at what was happening to Anthony Alvarez's body, what position he was in at the moment the shots were fired Mm -hmm. and concluded that it was not an imminent threat. This breaks a little bit with the history of what we've seen in the city. And I mean, long history of um, kind of how they decide these cases where someone has a gun. Yeah. We're going to dig into that uh, a little bit more. The the, um, report did include eyewitness accounts and video of the incident, Mm -hmm. but a lot of these details were what we already knew, right? They were already released to the public. Yeah. I mean, the there is policies now in place in the city where videos of uh, police shootings are released. But what we had here was, of course, an investigation that combined someone taking a close look at the videos over and over and interviewing eyewitnesses and officers and then making a determination Um uh, and in again, in that it it to me, what jumped out was it really came down to their assessment that while Alvarez was turning, you know, the gun was not raised in in a video frame was not raised and visible in a way that that brought it up to an imminent threat. Mm-hmm. Um, Copa found that the officers did not act in accordance with training around uh, proper use of body cameras. Can you talk about that, mm-hmm. Annie? Yeah, yeah. This um, All officers in the city now wear body cameras and are required to turn them on during, uh, 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 as soon as they begin to take police action, I think is what it says. And um, there um, are sometimes problems with officers activating them at the right time or they think they're turning them on when they're really turning them off. Um, but the the body can't, I think for me, the real focus, uh, what, this, what this case really should have us all thinking about is both, as you already said, the use of force policy and how we define that imminent threat mm-hmm. and also foot chase policies was another big part of this. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll also say that the one thing that did not happen here is uh, once COPA made this recommendation and it went to the police board, the police board, uh, I'm sorry, the superintendent first, you know, reviews it. And because the superintendent and COPA were not in agreement, it went to the police board. And the police board had a, a one member um, 
review of this. There was an option to put it to a full hearing in which everything you're mentioning now, the video, the all of this would have been aired out with a full police hearing mm -hmm. um, with expert testimony, perhaps, in which um, we could have learned a little bit more about why one agency saw it one way and another agency saw it another way. Yeah. Well, you touched on the foot chase there, Annie. So mm -hmm. I do want to talk a bit more about that foot pursuit policy, right? Yep. You know, some folks are mm -hmm. saying Alvarez's death and all the public outcry that came thereafter, it really led to changes. So mm -hmm. what's the latest with implementing this? Well, the, the latest is that the department, um, in wake of this, and then the second foot chase um, that resulted in a fatal shooting, of course, you'll remember Adam Toledo, um, this all leads to the department having to um, develop a foot chase policy for the officers. At the time of the shooting, there was um, what is called a uh, directive. I think it's a, called a training directive. Um, uh, was all that was in place, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was no formal foot pursuit policy in effect at the time this happened. There is a lawsuit now pending by the family that raises that very point that the officers who had to make the decision to chase, which of course leads to the decision to use force at the highest deadly level, right, um, did not have training around a foot pursuit policy because it didn't exist. So that's going to be part of a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit the family has brought. There's some back and forth between the police department and COPA. You know, for instance, the department didn't want uh, to take COPA's rep recommendation to mm -hmm. dismiss Officer Evan Solano, um, who shot Anthony Alvarez. Can you fill us in on that piece? Sure. And I think we've alluded to this a little bit already. When officers use deadly force, you know, they, the, the standard to look at is was the threat imminent and you know was it a reasonable reaction by the officer to determine that and i think the presence of the gun um, as one expert has pointed out to me historically in the city has very often led to decisions that therefore the threat was imminent you know there was a gun it was imminent in in here what this one expert observed to me is that they, they COPA, right, COPA who recommended the separation did not like automatically credit the officer's sense of fear that he felt that. They really took time to look at the videos and look at the positioning of Anthony Alvarez's body mm -hmm. um, at the moment it happened. Um, that is how COPA concluded, what they concluded. The superintendent did think that it was any reasonable officer officer in that same situation would fear for their life and would need to um, fire their gun to defend themselves in the public. Um, these are the, the questions, right, that could have been aired out in a hearing, but it did not get that far. Officer Solano didn't properly load his firearm. That was another finding in the report. What, what's that yeah. about? I, you know, that's about when they, um, my recollection of that is when they do their um, evidence workup and they collect all the, the bullet casings and they look at the gun and um, based on that, it was, uh, his gun did not have the full number of bullets he should have had at the time of the shooting. Uh, again, I it's important to look at these incidents from start to finish mm -hmm. and look at every single thing that could be a training moment for an officer. Um, uh, that to me is, is kind of a lower level thing when we're talking about things like making a decision about a foot chase and to like fire your weapon at someone. 
Is Officer Solano still on the force? He is. Um, at, we checked yesterday, and uh, my colleague Paige Fry worked mostly on this story yesterday, but in her check yesterday, I believe he and his partner are um, on administrative duty at this point. The other officer being Sammy Encarnacion. Yes. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the final report from COPA into the investigation of the fatal shooting of 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez last year. With us is Annie Sweeney, who's a criminal justice reporter for the Chicago Tribune. So if Superintendent Brown, Annie, uh, was able to disregard COPA's findings, how useful are these reports? That's a, I think that's a great question. And I, I kind of hope that is the takeaway for people in this, that um, the superintendent certainly had a, a right to do his own investigation. The police board did theirs. But I, I think it is notable that COPA spent months examining this and came to a different conclusion about use of force in the city. And it's so important, right, because of our history with um, officer-involved shootings and other uses of force, right, that that COPA took a different position and raised the idea that the presence of the gun alone was not enough, I think is really meaningful. And I, I think just that alone is something I hope people can kind of reflect on and take out of the articles, you know. Yeah. At the very least, is it you think this maybe just adds to the public record having this report? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think exactly right. The, the expert I referred to earlier said, you know, historically, we just didn't see these kind of positions taken by COPA. Now, I didn't go back and read every single investigation they've done. I don't know if that's true, but um, I, I think the way... Um, after the police board sided with the superintendent, we had public comment from COPA um, standing by their decision, essentially. And and I think you're right. I think it adds to the public conversation about policing in this city, what we expect officers who are in really extreme danger, mm-hmm. dangerous situation, responding alone often, having to make really difficult decisions. I think this adds a lot to what we, the public, expect of them and then expect in the way of consequences, yeah. you know, when we're analyzing these. Well, we we talked about training a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. Annie. You know, n- not mm-hmm. that there's an issue with training itself, but what measures would you say are in place to to make sure that officers adhere to training in these mm-hmm. high pressure situations? Can can well, you do that? Is that possible? Uh, sure. Yes. I mean, um, years ago, I visited other departments that were well ahead of Chicago in terms of doing scenario based. Um, training and I was in homes with them with these officers who were charging in and having to make split second decisions and we heard a lot about what happens to your adrenaline and what happens to when you get tunnel vision and you really can't see or hear or you don't recollect seeing or hearing anything else some of this is raised in the report and I think the police board acknowledged that that that's what happens to an officer more training certainly can help And, and I would say training is an issue in this city Prior to the civil rights investigation and our consent decree, I think officers only had to come in once a year to qualify with their weapon, right? They are trying to roll out mandatory training. I I think, I can't remember if I talked to you about this, but in recent weeks, we've 
we've seen issue with um, having enough people to keep those trainings going with um, the head of the reform office. Yeah getting fired, you know, so it's all related. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Superintendent Brown fired Robert Boyk, right, mm-hmm. he, who led the yeah. uh, the Bureau of Constitutional Policing. You, Boyk was concerned that court order trainings weren't going to happen because, you know, officers, right. they've been reassigned to patrol. So how does that impact the ability of CPD to enforce trainings? I think I think it, it certainly impacts them if they are having to pull people out of the reform office and even out of trainings. Now, that specific issue, the what Boyk highlighted was concern over the training around gender-based um, responses and around mental health responses. So it wasn't specific to use of force, but mm-hmm. I think what that what that incident, or well, I don't know, would be the right word, but what that reflected was the pressure in the department, and it is real, right? Like they, we have violence in this city that is unacceptable, even though we are thankfully down. Um, it, it is not at a sustainable, I think, level that anybody would say was was good. So they do need to respond to all of that stuff, but they also need to get this department trained up to be on the street and to treat people in a way that is called constitutional, right? Which means they um, are able to to stop violence, interact with the public and respect everybody's rights. And mm-hmm. certainly avoiding use of force and firing a gun is preferred in, in that. We'll leave it there. That was Annie Sweeney, criminal justice reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Thanks for breaking that down for us, Annie. Hey, thanks. Have a good day. You too.